Welcome to the last two weeks of this series that has taken us through the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. In fact, if you want to get to Revelation 22, you can kind of just flip to uh, where the Bible stops. If you get to the like maps and stuff, you've gone too far. Go back just a little bit. Uh, The last book of the Bible, we've taken a few weeks each fall for the last four years to walk through this verse by verse, to understand as best we can with the power of the Holy Spirit what God is revealing and specifically what Jesus is listening or wants us to listen to. The last book of the Bible, Revelation. We call it Revelation because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ to the church. Who's the church? That'd be you. That'd be you. So this is Jesus' special revelation to you through the disciple, also known as the Apostle John, who's an old man. Now, if you're just joining us, we've gone through 21 chapters already, so you're kind of joining this program already in progress. It's like seeing the latest Star Wars without seeing any of the previous but it's going to be good, right? This is, this is fun stuff. I love this stuff. I don't usually say this is fun. It's weighty, but this is fun. Uh, there's really, uh, on this stuff that we're talking about, there's really no controversy. Can you imagine that? Me preaching and no controversy. So um, these two chapters that, we've been, uh, that we're hitting here, uh, these last two have been Revelation 21 and 22. We're going to be in 22. It's talking about the new heaven and the new earth. And indeed, it's talking about all eternity. Uh, So you need to know about this stuff. Um, These are looking forward to the time in the future when this current earth, this one that we're on, is gone. And heaven is gone and a new earth and a new heaven and what you're going to see as a new city of God or what we also know as uh, New Jerusalem. We ended last, uh, last, our last week of the series right before Thanksgiving. That seems like last year, doesn't it? <laughs> I've been waiting to use that uh, all week. Although all the universe has gone away, a new universe has taken place. Now, this is what I want you to understand. We don't uh, think anything that is left uh, of this is in that place. It's all gone away. This is all a new physical reality, a new physical um, world, universe, planets. Here's everything uh, where Jesus will reign and sin has been defeated. Let's just do a test amen on that. That's big because every enemy of God at this point where we're going to be reading has been thrown into eternal judgment or hell. The Apostle John describes this city as the first, at first, from the outside. It's a giant cube, he says. It is the angel is holding a giant measuring, a golden measuring rod of God. He measures, measures the city, and it tells us this is the physical reality of the city, but also that the city has this deep connection to God himself and to you. And, and so that's what we're looking at of who God is and who we are in Christ Jesus. And how we will relate to him in that city. The proportions of the city, I don't know if you uh, remember, they're just mind-blowing. Now let me just say, if you're just joining us, you can go back and listen on the Bentry app. 
or uh, wherever you get podcasts. There's, uh, yeah, there's weeks and weeks of it there, uh, and you can listen to. But you're going to you're going to catch on really quick today. You don't have to have all that background. This new city on this new earth is 1,500 miles. Yes, I said miles square. That's the footprint on the new earth. At the same time, it's 1,500 miles tall. It is a perfect cube. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but the assumption that I'm making, so this is just Paul, this won't be in your scripture there, is that the earth will be much larger. I'm just getting that because 1,500 miles goes way out into outer space. Does that make sense? So I'm thinking that the new earth will be much larger, but the Bible doesn't tell us that, just speculation. But let's see if we can have a little bit of fun as we kind of grasp the size of the city. Zach Feldman, one of our core team members, longtime member of the worship team, uh, helped me do some cool calculations around this. And so there's a lot of writing today, but this is fun writing. Write this stuff down. This is just fun. Who has been to New York City? Raise your hand. You've been to New York City. I went a few uh, months ago to hear a guy preach Brooklyn Tabernacle. It's just an amazing time. The city is massive. I'm from a little town and I'll talk to anybody. So I was riding the subway and those guys don't want to talk. I'm just saying. And they and no one has a big long beard there. I was surprised by that. They kept trying to give me money, ask if I needed a homeless shelter to go to. But it was really a big, big place. Now, here's how big. Uh, New York City is. New York City is 302 square miles. Write that down. That's a big place. Lots and lots of people. Here's the difference though. New Jerusalem is 2.25 million square miles. Ha <laughs> ha! Now we're talking size-wise. New Jerusalem is 7,450 times the size of New York City. Does that blow your mind? That's like saying New York City, 7,450 times uh, uh, the city is that many cities. Put them all together. That's how big it would be. Now, as they say, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ready? This is just fun stuff. This is actual measurements. I want you to see this. At, su at the same density as New York is populated now, it could fit 64.2 billion people on that city. Now, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say there's 64.2 billion people. I'm not saying that going to be in heaven. It's just how many it could hold if it held the same density. Now, for those of you who have been to New York, they've got the, the World Trade Center site uh, in the museum, but right next to it, they built the Freedom Tower. The thing's beautiful. It's got reflecting ponds in there. The it's the tallest building in New York City. The tallest building in New York is 1,776 feet tall. 1776. That's why they did it that way. This means you could have... 4,459 layers of heaven, each as tall as the tallest building in New York. I told you it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Are you getting me? 
So if it's like floors in heaven. If you had a floor and we're just throwing it out, if it just happened to be as tall as the tallest building, you would have 4,459 floors that tall. <laughs> this amplifies the possible population to 286 trillion. Again, that doesn't mean there'll be that many people in heaven. I don't mean that. That's more people than have ever lived, by the way. But what it means is there's going to be a lot of space in heaven. This is a, a grand design. And this just helps us kind of get uh, our little heads wrapped around this. I want you to see this. This also means that the total horizontal and transversible area with 4,459 layers would be 10 billion square miles. That's 50 times the area of earth now in one city. That's half of the, uh, the surface area of Jupiter. It's hard for us to picture what this might look like and imagine. But that's all outside the city. It's like our little minds trying to grab that, a hold of that. Now let's go inside the city. Who wants to go inside the city with me? Let's go inside the city. But first, would you bow your head? Let's pray. Mm. Father. God, we look at the size of this thing and the scope of our no, new home and it just, it just blows our little minds. God, you truly are great. And whether it be microscopic things that are too tiny for even an electron to see, uh, God, you have made those things great all the way up to the biggest planets. Why should this surprise us? But it just does. You, you make things grand. You make them beautiful to reflect your glory. God, we are diving into Revelation 22. And our prayer is that you would just build us as a people into who you want us to be as a church. I mean, God, the individuals, yes, but also build us into your church. God, we, we long to see your character. We want, we want to see these verses and understand at least a, a fraction of who you are as, as you just pull us forward in faith to you, God. When our faith will become sight when we get to see you. Would you send your Holy Spirit into this place and give us insight into your words? It is in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the earth. All the church said, Amen. Amen. Well, let's get our minds set to study God's Word. Let's look at this passage. Go to chapter 22, last, uh, the last week in our Christmas series Last week, Advent living in between, we talked about how our operating system, where our mind should be, where our thoughts should rest, is in this place. That's why it's so important that we study it. It's as if we have this anchor, Jesus, in this place, so we let our mind rest there, and we have this chain that comes back to us down here in the muck and mire, right? We are in pain, we're in suffering, this world it ain't right. And we just kind of pull ourselves by faith to that place with the thought of one day, one day we'll be home. To let it work as that anchor that we can hold on to when everything else is a mess. We will be finally made complete with the ability to finally live life that we were created to live. Check this out. With true joy, true peace, 
a physical life and yet a spiritual life at the same time. Enjoying all the good things, both physically and spiritually, that God wants us to have. All right, with that mindset, here's the setting. The angel has been showing the Apostle John the outside of the city. And now, chapter 2, we move inside. Verse 1, look at it in your Bible or up here. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Oh, what do you see? Remember, when you study Scripture, what you're doing is you're saying, what does it actually say? That's where you start out first. What does it actually say? So what do we read about? We read about a river. Not just any river. It says it's the river of life. How does it describe the river of life? Clear as what? Crystal. Flowing. It is a moving river. It's not stagnant. It's flowing from what? The throne of God and of the Lamb. So the Lamb is on the throne of God. It's God's throne, but who is the Lamb? Jesus is the Lamb. He is the Lamb that has been slain since the foundation of the world. You heard me end my prayer like that. That was intentional. Jesus is on this throne of God. He is the ruler. The river is flowing from this throne. I know that sounds repetitive, but I want you to begin to think as you study Scripture, what does it actually say? Don't let any line, don't let any word skip you. This is both a physical picture, but it has deep spiritual meaning as well. Do you see it? Write this down. Jesus' throne is the source of the river of life. Now, there's so much we could do. I'm telling you, we could spend the next couple hours right here and not get to the bottom of it. Jesus is the source of this new life in heaven. Yes, but it is also that his kingdom has been established. There's no other rule except Jesus. It is impossible to get to the depth of this meaning. For all eternity, we will be looking at the marvelous miracle this is. Who Jesus is, what he has done for us on earth, in dying for us, in literally giving us life in the new heaven. I want you to think about something. You're sitting in your living room. You're watching TV. You've got maybe your, uh, you've got some lights on and all of a sudden it goes, all dark. Even your phone. You, You hit the power, you go and how many of you do this when the power's out, you like walk around and you grab the light switch and you do that a couple of times. Like maybe that's why all the neighborhood is out, right? What's happened? The, the electricity is out. Somehow your neighborhood is shut off. Here's what I want you to understand. If you're not a Christian, listen to this closely. The life that you live now, every breath you take, that sounds like a police song. Every breath you take, everything you do, even your existence right now is upheld by God's power. Does that make sense? So if he were to withdraw the power what would be left let me tell you nothing no life that's how it is now in heaven even more so we live because jesus is powering this thing 
And we don't know exactly what the river is, except that it is giving life to everything. Are you with me? All right, let's take a look back at John, the Apostle John. He's writing Revelation, but he wrote the Gospel of John, chapter 7. If you want to flip there real quick, 37, the second half of 37. Jesus is at this festival. This is his earthly ministry. And it is the festival of lights at the temple. There's this central courtyard area, and it's bright lights even though it's in the middle of the night. This, the, the temple is lit up because there's so many fires and torches. Now though, it's all men and they're all sweaty because they're all dancing. And then the women are up on these raised walks all the way around because the women can't be with the men right there at the temple. They're looking down, right? They're looking down at the men. And the men are just dancing like crazy and they're all holding torches. Festival of Lights. It's loud. It's raucous. Look what Jesus says in the middle of this festival. He cries out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Now, here we are standing at the river's edge. But clearly this is not like any other river you or I have ever seen. For two reasons, right off the bat. This is going to mess you up. First, there's no dirt here. There's no physical dirt. Like you standing on the edge of the Big Thompson in the National Park. There's dirt, you know, you get a little mud on your... There's no dirt here. How do we know that? There's no dirt described, but there is, in fact, a ground described here. What is it described as? Gold. Gold. Clear as crystal. We looked at that before Thanksgiving. And the water in the river that's flowing is flowing over this gold surface. Second, there is no hydrological cycle. By the way, I should get $5 because I said that word. That's a $5 word. Hydrological. You know what that is? That's when water, like it's flowing down the big tops, it eventually goes into a big river all the way at the sea. It evaporates in the ocean, goes up into clouds, comes over and rains on us or snows in our case, right? And then it starts all over. It's the circle, hydrological circle. There is no hydrological circle. There is no rain there. This is a very different kind of river. Flip back to Revelation 21. Just one chapter over Revelation 21 for just a moment. Look what Jesus says to John in verse 6. Here it is. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to those, to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. This is a spring. A spring just comes up out of the ground. It's not rain, right? It just comes up out of the ground. That's what's happening. But where is it coming from? The throne. Here's what I want you to understand. You can write this down. It's not a fill in the blank. But Jesus is the beginner of the beginning. And he is the ender of the end. Now why is that important to understand? Because it is through him, John 1 says, that everything was made was made. Jesus actually created the world. 
And he is the ender of the end. He has brought it to a close. Jesus is the cause. You can write that down. Jesus is the cause. He stands at the beginning of creation in Genesis 1.1. And now at the end of this creation and the start of the new eternal creation. He is the first letter of the alphabet and he is the last one. Or to say it like this. Picture the little alphabet right? we have. I have to sing the song. Anybody else have to sing the song? A, B, C, D, F, G. Right? You, you, you sing the song, you think, okay, think of all the words that can be written with our alphabet. Thousands, right? Now think of it this way. Jesus is an entirely new alphabet. And through his alphabet, he will tell the story of God. That's what's happening here. Jesus says, I will freely give to the thirsty. Who are the thirsty ones? Heaven is for those who know that their soul is parched like we're sinful. They, we earnestly seek the satisfaction, the drink of the cool water of salvation and eternal life. Do you understand? We cannot save ourselves. That's what Christians understand. We're no good. We're lost, but Jesus comes to save us. Amen? Now remember, last week when we talked about justification, Jesus is calling us to spiritual life from spiritual death. That is solely a work of God and God alone. You cannot earn your salvation. Grace through faith. But sanctification is also a gift of grace that we, that we do work with the Holy Spirit. We, we work out that. When it says we work out our uh, salvation with fear and trembling, that's the salvation it's talking about. We're saved because of Jesus. But now in our salvation, we work with the Holy Spirit of God to do the work of the kingdom. Now we see the source of this life, the thirst-quenching water of life, straight from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, go back to chapter 22 now. Where, where is the river of life flowing? Where is it flowing to? Where is it flowing? Look at verse a, uh, 22, the first half. Down the middle of the city's main street. Hang on. Down the middle of the city's main street. This throne is apparently elevated. How do we know that? Well, if you've ever worked with a plumber, rule number one is water goes downhill. The river is flowing down. It is a hill. It is flowing down. But where is it flowing? Down the middle of the city's main street. By the way, this is how we know we're inside the big square thing. We are inside the city because it tells us, and not just any street, the main street. Here's what I want you to get. If you want to jot it somewhere, draw a little picture of the big box, is right in the middle is Jesus' throne. He's on the throne, the river of life flowing out down the main street. It is the focus of our life in heaven. He is in the middle of this city, New Jerusalem. Now watch carefully. You're about to be blown away with what John sees next. This is going to mess you up. The tree of life was on each side of the river. You're going, the tree of life, tree of life. Where have I heard that before? Tree of Life is on each side of the river in between that and Main Street, right? So it's, you see this? Bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. 
The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations. The tree of life, way back in Genesis chapter 2, don't confuse this with the other tree. Remember in Genesis, there's, there's two trees mentioned specifically along with billions of other trees, right? These are beautiful trees to look at. God says, you can eat as much as you want to Adam and Eve from the tree of life. This is what gives you life. But then the other tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. By the way, that tree ain't here. That tree's not here. But this tree is, and it's the same tree. Same tree. Oh, do you see where we are standing here? In this picture? Some of you don't get it. Genesis starts off with a garden and Revelation ends in the same garden. Do you understand? This is back in the garden of Eden. It's the same tree, but things are much more complete now. Much more complete. Write this down. The tree of life is a symbol of both eternal life and continued blessing. Now let me just warn you. When it shows this picture, is it a symbol? Yes, but is the tree real? Yes. It is a physical tree. It is a symbol and a physical tree. Now don't miss it. Just because it's a real tree, it can have a deep spiritual meaning at the same time. Physically, the tree bears 12 kinds of fruit. I can't wait to eat this fruit. It is one for each month. And here's the thing, you can write this down. It's symbolic of the abundance of the variety in heaven. The English word for therapeutic, like therapy, comes from this word translated healing in most of our Bibles. Now, here's the thing. We don't know what this means. We don't know what this means. And yet, we won't until we are there in heaven in the city of God. We just know it's true. So write this down. The leaves from the tree of life somehow enrich heavenly life, making it full and satisfying. Oh, please don't miss this. This is the, the fun part of preaching this. This is no doom and gloom. This is life. We don't, we don't know the physical makeup of this new world or of the tree. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know all of the chemistry. We don't know all of the things of how it works. But, but think back to what we just said a few minutes ago. This is the main street of the new Jerusalem. The throne of God and of the Lamb. That's the central piece. The river of life flows down from the throne, this spring of life, in the middle of the street and the tree of life growing on both sides of the river. Got that picture? This is where we will live. Like you get that? That's, that's like the center of town. The center of this massive thing we did all the calculations for. Physically, we will have space that we live in. This would be our home. At its center of our home is Jesus and His rule. We have seen that the city is translucent in the past. And not just that it lets light through, it amplifies the light so that the city becomes brighter and brighter. This city is unlike any other city and this tree is unlike any other tree. Listen to me. It's not growing in dirt like any tree you know of. It is growing in the glory of 
of God, this city, this golden thing. We don't know what that means. It means it doesn't grow like any other tree we've ever seen. This tree is special. It's growing from the power of God himself. This river of life is flowing. But that stuff is small potatoes. And you heard me right, small potatoes compared to what we see in verse 3. Look at this. And there will no longer be any curse. Brothers and sisters, if I could bottle this and tell you like what it means, like put it in the middle of you and go, there's no more curse. Some of you are like, oh, there's no more curse. I'm going, no, this is all the pain, the suffering that you experience right now is because of the curse. The curse of what? The curse of sin. When Adam and Eve had sinned originally, in Genesis chapter 3, they had lost their position of being steward of God's creation. They were meant to rule the world under Jesus, right? But they were driven out of the new world. The literal ground that they walked on was cursed. Their relationships were cursed. Now listen to me. They specifically were not cursed, but they lived under the curse. We, we use that word curse. They live under the curse. It's why life is so hard. It's why your job is hard. It's why death, it, it hurts so bad when you lose someone you love. It's why, it's why mamas and daddies, sometimes relationships hard. It's why you, you fight. It's all part of the curse. The men, the women. Satan took the role that the man and the woman were supposed to have as ruler of the earth. That is, until he was defeated at the cross. And our redemption was purchased with the blood of Jesus' perfect sacrifice at the cross. Let me hear a hearty amen. Let's try that again. A hearty amen. Because we're not under the curse. We're not under the curse. Jesus' blood has bought our freedom. And the entire book of Revelation has been about the return of Christ and putting the world under His control. Are there different ways to view it of His timing? What will happen? Yes, but the, at the end, Jesus comes back and takes us home to heaven. This is just a beautiful thing. And it happened because of the cross. At the entire picture that we're looking at, Jesus has meted out the wrath of God. We've seen that. Evil has been destroyed. Sin is no more. Those who are enemies of God are in hell at this point. The curse is gone. The Apostle Paul puts it well. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh, talking about your physical body, and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Now this is deep, but it's not so deep you can't understand it. This is why the end comes the way that it does. It is why we die. For Christians, let me just tell you, death is a gift. Did you know that? Sometimes I'm ready to go home. I don't know about you. I'm just ready to go home, right? 
It's why we die. It's why the earth and the universe have to literally be destroyed with fire before the new can come. Why? Because corruption cannot inherit incorruption. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. Now here's the problem. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. Both of those statements are true. And yet this old physical body still wants to sin. It still wants to look at things I shouldn't look at. It still wants to win every conversation. It still wants to get everything out of the way and say, I am the most important person. Our soul has been made new through the blood of Jesus. But the problem is that we are still here in the sin-fallen world. We are free from the eternal curse of death. The second death is second eternal punishment. We are still living in a world where death and sin reign. Are you with me? Then in the new earth and the new city of God, the earth will be curse free. The effect of original sin will be totally and completely gone. That's hard for our little minds to grasp. Have you ever thought, can I sin in heaven? I sure want to now. The answer is no. You will not be able to sin in heaven. And you go, well, won't my freedom be impaired? If you want to sin, yeah. But you won't want to. Do you understand? You will be made complete. Sin is a deficit. It is a subtraction of what God has for you. But that's just the start of the good news. I want you to see this, the second half of verse 3. Look at this. Chapter 22, verse 3. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will worship Him. Now, some of you view this, uh, this heaven thing as boring. Get that thought out of your head. <laughs> some of you kind of picture of this service that won't end. You're like sitting in a dimly lit room with pink chairs and Paul won't land the plane, Right? It's like you're going, will this thing ever end, right? You picture that as worship. That's not it. That's not it. Instead, your whole life, all your actions will be worship. The way you play, the way you work. And some of you are going, I'm not working in heaven. Oh, yes, you are, baby. You're going to work in heaven. There will be work, but not the kind of work like you go punch a clock and get a paycheck, that kind of stuff, at the office or the factory or school. No, this kind of work, check this out. This kind of work means that you will be doing what you were created to do. You know, like you kind of get glimpses of it every once in a while when you're doing something that time just passes, you're enjoying it so much and that time just like whizzes by and you go, man, how did that go by? That's the kind of work, what you were created to do, living out your passion and using your gift set in such a way that it serves God and the body of Christ, the other parts of the church. And get this, your work will be life-giving and joy-filled. Some of you are like, I don't get it. And I, get, I, I know what you mean. And yes, we will play. <laughs> 
the best things in this life like art, music. I love hiking, um, exploring new places. Think of the best experiences that you have on earth. Think that you go, man, I cannot wait till I get to do that kind of thing before, but without the fall of sin weighing heavy on you. Now, this is just me speculating. This is just me. This is not biblical, but I'll throw it out there. It's not anti-biblical, I'll say that. I think we'll be able to explore not just the earth, but I think we'll be able to explore the universe. God doesn't create things by accident just to go, hey, there's a tiny pinprick of light. There's worlds that you can explore, places to go. Again, that's just, that's just, that's just uh, what my si- sisters call me, Paul. That's just Paul, right? That's, that's Pastor Paul just going, man, won't that be cool? But let's just say, won't that be cool? Do you get that even in our play, we'll be worshiping God? I mean, I've heard pastors preach forever. They've said, man, you, you want to go to heaven because you don't want to go to hell. Forget hell. I just want, I want to be with Jesus. I want to live the life God called me to live. The life he created me to live. I want to have purpose. I want to have joy. Does anybody else want to go with me? I mean, this, like, let's just go. And think about relationships, friendships, family, the deepest that you have had in this life. Man, I can't even look at you because I love you. All because of the life-giving river that is flowing from the throne of God because Jesus is on His throne, the Lamb of God. We will have these relationships without the weight of sin. But even in those relationships, those will pale in comparison to being invited into this true relationship with the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You and I are in a relationship with God. We get to talk to God. We will see Him face to face. Look at verse 4. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. Exodus 33 tells us that no unglorified human could ever see the face of God and live. But now in our new bodies, in the new city, we can look at God face to face without harm. I mean, think of this. The angels that stand before God right now, right now, have three sets of wings. One set to fly with. One set to cover their body. And one set to cover their face. Why? To protect them. You, with unveiled face, you will look upon the face of God. Not because you were good. Lord knows that's not true. But because Jesus is. Do you understand the depth of what we're talking about? And look at this. His name will be on our foreheads. We will be God's personal possession. Anybody fans of Toy Story, like the Disney? Some of you are going, I don't know, am I? It's like, I am. I'm a big fan. I love, I love Toy Story 4. What's written on the bottom of the toys? Just say it. Andy's name or the other little girl's. Yeah, writes it on the bottom. What does it signify? Buzz Lightyear holds his little foot up. He goes, I'm Andy's toy. 
Woody the cowboy. Woody's my favorite. He goes, I'm Andy's toy, right? Look at verse 5 with this. Night will be no more. People will not meet, need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Oh, I want you to get this. Now the earth gets its light from the sun right now. Annie and I were in downtown Estes with the rest of the family. We were waiting on them. They were shopping. And, and Annie and I were standing in the sunlight. It was streaming through the window. And we were like, ooh, it just feels nice, doesn't it? It just feels nice. But what happens is the earth rotates. And then where are we? We're in the dark. That will never happen. Why? Because the light does not come from the sun. It comes from Jesus. It will never be dark. You will never be cut off from the S-U-N or the S-O-N. Do you see the double meaning that we have here? I just love this. We as citizens of heaven are more than just servants. We are family. We are intricate to the working of this new city. You are a part of the city. You are in relationship with everyone else in the city. Look at verse 13. Uh, oh, go back to Revelation chapter 3. Way back to Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. Jesus says this. He says, the one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. In Bible days, a person's name was something very important. It wasn't just random. It, it meant something. Does that, does that make sense? Go back to Toy Story with me. Sometimes we think, well, God wrote His name on us, we're God's. Yes, but, write this down, Christ writing His name on Christians is a symbol of imprinting His character on us. Christ writing His name on Christians is a symbol of imprinting His character on us. Man, we could go for a while here. Back to Revelation chapter 22, last book of the Bible, verse 6. The angel showing John all of, the, all of this speaks. This is that angel. He says this. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what soon, must soon Take place. If I were you in your Bible, like I would underline, underline this. What must soon take place. This is the angel giving not only the message, but the guarantee that they will take what will take place and take place soon. Now, how soon? We don't know. We wait. We live in the in-between. We live in the already and the not yet. How soon? How soon is soon? Well, not soon enough if you ask me. But don't miss the significance of the word soon. 
It is saying that nothing else needs to happen before this happens. In other words, there's not another age, there's not another covenant that needs that. All the fulfillments have been made. We are waiting on Christ's return. Amen? That's what we wait on. That is our anchor. We keep our head in heaven so that we can live our life now. The angel is talking about all the events in the book of Revelation. In other words, we are living in the last days. Let that draw you forward. This thought needs to work in our lives as this driving force. It's what gets us up in the morning. That today may be the last day. It needs to begin to alter our way of thinking about everything else. Because everything else changes in the priority list when you go, well, today may be the last day. From the kind of car you get to the job you have to go, I don't know if I should talk to my neighbor you know, about all the Jesus stuff. Today may be the last day. Let me close with just a few thoughts. If all this is true, and I believe it with all my heart, and everything, everything in Scripture points that this is true, it is our true future for those whose Savior and Lord is Christ Jesus. Now, why do I say Savior and Lord? It's not that those can be broken apart, but some of you have treated Jesus like He is your Savior, but He's not your Lord. Like, save me, forgive me of my sin, but I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to alter my life. Listen to me. Those two things aren't exclusive. Jesus is Savior and Lord. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. That's true, isn't it? Jesus is Lord. Get this picture in your head. I like to start off. If you're new, I like to do this every once in a while. Um, some people like it drives some people crazy. Um, I like to start the message of like kind of putting you there. So kind of turn that flat screen on in your head. Let's end today with this kind of thing. I want you to put yourself in this picture. It's you and I. It's you and I. It's just been one more day on a long journey. And I mean long. Getting up early every day. We have our coffee and we start walking. I mean, it's hiking. Our shoes, our clothes are worn out. We're smelly. We've been walking through rivers. You and I, we've been walking through grasslands. You know, the vast prairie. I'm talking kind of like eastern Colorado all day long until it gets late at night. And then we take our 150-pound pack of all our food and cooking utensils, our little tents and sleeping bags, and we make dinner and, and we talk a little bit, but then we're fast asleep. Why? Because we've been walking all day long. <laughs> we've hiked mountains. We've fallen off some mountains. Uh, as we get to the end of this day that we're in in our little story, you, you ask the question you ask every night. And it drives me batty. The question is, are we almost there? And I say, soon, soon. And you give me that look <laughs> that you give me, that you've been giving me lately. <laughs> you look at me. It's still light, but the sun has gone down. So it's kind of starting to gray. You know, it's dark off one side still. You see a little bit of light coming over and you look at me 
and you say, hey, you don't look so good. You don't look so hot. And I say, yeah, I know, I don't feel so hot either. Man, I'm worn out from this journey. And I look back at you and I go, hey, you don't look so good either. You don't look so good. Because let's be honest, I've got some scars from this trip. Some dried blood from a, a wound on my arm. And, and over here, I've got, a, got this, this wound and I'm kind of bandaged up. And the bandages are kind of dirty. And you, you look even worse. you got like one on your head. Some dried blood. Maybe a little fl- fresh blood right there. you got a foot that's all kind of gimpy and you're you're walking along and it's just kind of you're just a mess and I'm a mess we're we're weary we got we got all this stuff we got these heavy backpacks on our our backs and we're dirty we're smelly we're tired we're hungry we're thirsty but before we get ready for the night it's getting dark we think maybe we should put down for tonight maybe we should get all of our stuff out maybe we should get it out kind of get ready for bed It's getting late. It's that time. But then as we begin to stop, we notice something up ahead. So after the, I reach for the binoculars, they're always like right there. So I can feel them and I take those out and I stand quiet. And I look at the horizon. We see something. It's not the sunset. We see see something ahead. And we, we look at that thing and you go, what is it? Is it dangerous? And you're like pestering me, and I'm like being quiet. And then all of a sudden, you just kind of, you just kind of stand behind me. You start to see my shoulders shake. You go, like, are you crying? What's wrong? You go, yes, I'm crying. I said, that's it. That's that's the city. You go, give me those. So you take it. You look. You kind of adjust the. For sure, you can see the top of the city. The one we've traveled for so long. I start jumping up and down with joy. I'm yelling. And you start jumping up and down. You're doing this little dance. You know, I can't, you're so happy, right? I slip my 150-pound pack off. I, I, I throw it to the ground. I take everything that I carry. You do the same thing and we start to run. We're not going to get out for tonight. We're not going to get our bedrolls out. We're going to run to the city. It's just up ahead. We can make it tonight if we run. We, love all, we leave all of our stuff behind. We run, not walk for the city of God. Folks, this is me right now. As we look through the binoculars of Revelation 22, this is you and I looking at the city of God up ahead. I'm telling you, I see it. Let your faith rest. Let it pull you forward. Let's close with this next verse. This is from Jesus himself to John. Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. When is he coming? Soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. In other words, there's stuff we have to do. The journey on, the keeps journey. Blessed is the one who keeps journeying on. Our journey is not done yet. We are not home yet, but the city is on the horizon. It is time we drop the stuff that holds us back, that keeps us from 
running the race to the city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're humbled. You've given us so much. But God, we're weary. Some of us are wounded. Some of us are in this place that we feel like we can't go on another day. God, there are people in this room that their marriages are just, they're in the ditch. Some that are, are dealing with physical ailments like, God, they're not going to make it through another year. God, there are some in this room that are dealing with deep depression. God, I, I pray that no matter where we are on the journey, your Holy Spirit would fill us to capacity right now. God, I lift up my church to you. That no matter where we are, we would sense your Holy Spirit running through our veins. God, I pray for marriages to be healed. I pray those who are physically hurting that you would take the hurt away. God, I pray for those uh, people that are in a hard financial situation right now. God, would you deliver them? But God, if you choose to say no on every one of those things, would you just give us so much of you that we could deal with the depression, that we could deal with the pain, that we could deal with a marriage that isn't perfect, that we could deal with our finances, that it seems like we're getting farther behind. God, that you would be enough, Jesus. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now. For me too. God, we're thirsty. Help those rivers of living water flow through us right now that we would have that strong, cool drink from you, God. God, I pray as we start this new year off as a body of Christ that you would be so uh, in the middle of our family right here that we would be unrecognizable spiritually next year at this time. That we would grow so much in you, both as individually and as a body, that we would not be able to recognize all the things that have changed because your name has been made great in the lives of these people. God, we claim that in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us? I want to be close, close to your side. So heaven is real and death is a lie. I want to hear voices of angels above. Singing as one, Hallelujah, Holy, Holy, God Almighty, Great I Am, who is worthy, none beside Thee, God Almighty, Great I Am. Be near. 